Welcome to Semio Bites, bite-sized podlog episodes related to theological semiotics. Hey Terry, how's it going? Well, uh, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> that mixed bag have anything to do with yesterday? Uh, it certainly would. Yes, it would. Yesterday, for those of you who are listening, would be uh, January the 6th, which was the takeover of the Capitol building by the alt-right faction of Trump supporters. Did you know that the last time the Capitol building was invaded was by the British in the early 1800s? I knew it had happened in the 19th century and that it was the British. Yeah, I do, I do know enough of my American history to remember that event. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I, I, I stayed up until like 3 a.m. just reading news articles about everything. Yeah. And it's it, it's been an interesting ride. Um, I'm a little scared for the future. <laughs> just now? You're only now getting scared well, for the future? I, I've been mildly concerned, but I, my my concern is that on one hand, we're going to have more of these MAGA catastrophes. Um, I guess the appropriate term would be terrorist attacks in a way. I mean, they shot guns yeah, at the Capitol. And, terrorists. I mean, there's a, that's, that's yeah. one good way to think of them, yeah. And um, so, yeah, that does have me concerned. But the other part that has me concerned was a result something that happened yesterday in a different state that's in relation to the politics, which is Georgia. Because it looks like both candidates are Democrats, which I'm not pro-Democrat, I'm not pro-Republican. I am nonpartisan. I I vote for what is in best interest, not what is in party interest. But when I look at the whole picture, we'll have a Democratic president and we'll have a democratic majority in the house and then the senate is going to be literally a 50 50 split no that's not how it turned out so we didn't get both not both candidates in georgia are democratic we did but that gave us the plurality of one well that's because they have a tiebreaker called the vice president no 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 you sure there were two Republican candidates for the Georgia Senate and two Democratic candidates. And mm-hmm. if it had split and one Republican had gone in and one Democrat had gone in, then we would have a tiebreaker where the president. Huh, my bad. Okay. Still, but though, it's... Democrats won. So that gave yeah. the Democrats a, a, an edge of one vote in the Senate. Which I don't. I don't necessarily agree with everything on the on the Democratic ticket, but I mean, the short term, the short term is maybe there'll be some COVID economic relief that is more than a dollar sixty seven a day. (laughs) I hadn't done that math, but that's pretty spooky. (laughs) I I didn't do the math. I saw the meme on Facebook. It said you can sponsor American for only a dollar sixty seven a day. Like sponsor a child in Africa, right? Sponsor an American exactly seven a day. <laughs> That's a pretty funny. Which, if, if you think about it, the World Vision's what, like forty bucks or something. That's you're going to be given about the same, right? Yeah, I worked as you know. I worked with World Vision for like two and a half years. Uh, well, just yeah. about exactly two years, and yeah, that's to sponsor a child is somewhere around 
a dollar to two dollars a day, depending on which child, where they are, and that sort of thing. We sponsored one for uh, Leanne. Actually, kicked it off, and the family kind of took it over. And we she, we started sponsoring her when she was like nine or ten. And mm-hmm. when she got to be like fifteen or sixteen, her family moved to another place, so we could no longer sponsor her. But yeah, we sponsored one for a while. Plus, I worked there for two years. Yeah. that makes sense yeah what picture was in the meme do you have the meme handy um i might yeah let me take a look here i'm gonna make you a co-host i, I know who posted i know who posted it, so i can take a look at their feed i'm gonna make you a co-host so you can share it if you find it um i don't know if i'm able i don't know how to do that I'm on an iPad and an iPhone. <laughs> okay, all right. That might be tough. So if you find the meme, send me the link and I'll share it. Send it in the chat and I'll share it if you find it. But yeah. yeah oh, here it is. It's... We now are in a place where Georgia, for the first time in like decades, has a Democratic uh, Congress representation. Yeah, let me see. Am I able to... I'm curious if I'm able to. Oh, maybe. Well, if you see the three. Wow. Wow. I have access to things. This is so weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm the techie, right? And this is. (laughs) Yeah, you should have a share screen option in your in your toolbar. Can you see that? Yeah, I see both you and me. Oh, yes, I do. For 600 a year, only $1.64 a day, you too can sponsor an American. <laughs> ah, that's just great. It just needs an image. It needs an image. Desperately needs I an think image. It was a, I think it was a tweet, and then somebody took a screenshot of the tweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. That's yeah, great. But when, when I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really what it's come down to. <laughs> That is great. So stop the share. This will this will be in the recording, both video and audio. Uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's funny because like uh, like w- with the whole stimulus money, right? The, the, right? Those funds. It was funny because you know the the president waited a week to sign, and, and he said like, well, maybe I'm not gonna sign because you you need more than six hundred dollars. You need two thousand dollars each, and the Democratic House jumped on that. I was like, thanks for finally agreeing with us. Let's do it. And it was the Senate that blocked it. But it makes me wonder if Congress, after January 20th, submits a, something similar to that, can they pull off enough votes in the Senate to pass it? If, um, if how can I put this? If the president, Biden, uh, supports the idea, then he should. I mean, the House already has a Democratic majority with Pelosi. And if the Senate now has a Democratic majority, he should be able to put stuff through through Congress just willy-nilly. Which is scary. In regards to COVID relief, we'll finally the people can finally have hope and get the need they get what they need because the country is in dire straits with that but it's scary in regards to everything else well it's i i don't i'm not as optimistic as you i don't guess i i have no hope period 
uh, I just don't invest in hope in this life on this planet. Okay. You and I both have a next yeah. life kind of spiritual focus on hope. That is a valid thing, a truth and a reality for both of us, different, but true and real and a nice Mandora harmonious resonance between the two because of our podcast yeah. here, um, bridging, building these bridges. Um, but I, I place no hope in anything human. We, we, it, it's futile. So, so it's I, interesting. I don't want to go down that I, road quite yet. Let's, let's park that and put a pin in it for a second. What I do want to say is I don't see Biden as an improvement over Trump or Pence for that matter. And I'd be surprised if the Jewish community had more hope in Biden, as it were, speaking of hope. For instance. Oh, no, the Jewish community. Told, well, it depends on what you mean. Let's clarify. What do you mean by Jewish community? Do you mean Orthodox, Jewish, or Jewish-ish? Orthodox. Orthodox Jewish is pro-Trump. Pro-Trump? Okay. Yes. But the because broader, of his policies for Israel. The Well, the broader... Um, <laughs> that's interesting you would say that because I'm looking at a page. Let me share this so we can talk about it. I, I found this earlier today. You've probably already seen it from the Times of Israel. Maybe. Uh, I, have a, I do subscribe to their website, so... Uh, Hitler was right on one thing. Republican Congresswoman tells. Pro oh my gosh! Yes, that. Yeah, that kept me up last night too. I was like, "Are you serious?" I just saw this and I just could not freaking believe it. Um, let me bring that up. Here it is. Uh, so we have it in the video blog as well as the, are you seeing it? Yes. Yeah. Now the article is just horrible. I just, you know, I mean, I saw this. This was one of the first headlines I saw this morning. I've actually slept rather well. This stuff doesn't keep me awake, believe it or not. I wake up in the middle of I don't, it, you know, but I, I, I don't trouble my sleep. I don't know if it necessarily kept me awake, but it was something to do while I was awake. And then technology is a time suck. You disappear <laughs> into it. And then yeah. before you know it, it's been a week. So yeah. I, th I think that's part of it, but. No, that that is concerning. What what the uh, congresswoman said at the pro-Trump rally. Um, and she's a new Republican. She just got sworn into Congress from the state of Illinois. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, what she said is like par for the course when it comes to Republicans and when it comes to a lot of governments throughout the world, especially in Europe. There have been significant issues in Germany and France as of recent. Right. And so that's. That's, you know, just status quo. I mean, as regards to people thinking, oh, how amazing Hitler is and that we should quote him. Yeah. Part of the reason this so, dimension on this that troubled me was what she was referring to was the Mein Kampf comment about whoever has the youth has the future. Which is true. Children and, and, you know, I'll own your country, your world and your future. And there, there is a, a compelling truth to that, which may which be it made me all the more wary of Betsy DeVos as a Republican appointee. I've oh, already been aware. I, I'm not a fan of Betsy, sorry. Well, I'm not. I have student I'm loans and I... Yeah. This was, she was Trump's appointment to make, make exactly this happen, to shift public education into its privatization so they could have the youth and indoctrinate them with this alt-right yeah. ideology. 
You know, of all you, the things you ought to I remember like, this, you ought to, I'm sorry, you ought to remember that from our DMIN cohort. When we read, um, what was that book that was on the new education paradigm? I can't remember the title of it at the moment. Uh, uh, yeah. You remember it? Remember reading that book? I should be able to I see know what you're talking book. about. Um, but anyway, someone who had written a book on how the new paradigm for educating our youth, and it was a it was a sell job for Betsy DeVos. And I said so to the cohort, and everybody just thought I was crazy, including Lynn. Thought I was just, you know, my tinfoil hat was just, you know, vibrating these conspiracism views. Well, guess what? But that's only because tinfoil looks so good on your head. <laughs> Anything but this, right? Anything but the skin. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted you and I didn't mean to. I just wanted to kind of have that flashback be part of the dialogue here. Yeah, no, totally. I'm just thinking of all the things yesterday, right? We have the rally. We have this comment. We have the terrorist attack on the Capitol. I remember dialing in with you on Zoom and just watching the live stream of the news. And then it popped up Trump's video. And we got to watch Trump's response. Did you know you? it's very hard to find that video now? No, I didn't know that. Because that was a tweet he posted. And Twitter intervened. They broke their policy of not filtering the presidential account. And they banned him from posting for 12 hours. And they deleted all of his tweets. Did not know that. So we've got it in our recording. Yes. And so social media companies like Facebook included, they've been actively deleting the content that he's posting that has fake news in it. Wow. <laughs> well, that's kind of a two-edged sword, isn't it? So, so let me throw something out here. There's just a little curveball. Um, I told you that I found out that my, my, my father, we've always had this tenuous relationship with us, but my father drove cross country to go to this rally and he was at, I found out he was at the rally. He didn't go and storm the Capitol, but he was at the rally. And he said that his remark was that the Capitol attack was done not by MAGA supporters and not by people from the Trump rally, but that rather it was a publicity stunt that the Democrats organized with Antifa and everybody dressed up MAGA to make Trump look bad. Seriously. Seriously. Do you buy it? Of course not. <laughs> Antifa literally by its definition has no organizational structure whatsoever. Right. Yeah, well, that's a good way to kind of spin it from the that side of the woods. <laughs> it was still just, are you kidding me? I, as Yoni, I, I can't imagine how, I mean, it, it's easy to have the conversation about this, sort of, but I can't help but sense how I would feel trying to deal with that problem, because I was blessed with a father with whom I had, geez, a, a resonant harmony that transcended words uh, and that lasted pretty much until the very end of his life, so I can't imagine how it must grieve your soul to literally have that kind of loss. Uh, 
in the burden you carry through life. We all carry, we all have a cross to bear, to put it in Christian terms, our cross to bear is our parents to some extent. It's politics to yeah. another, it's climate crisis, the cross just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But I, I cannot empathize with that particular burden that you have simply because I was blessed to have a father who loved me and with whom I shared not just that love, but an empathy for reality and truth <laughs> that apparently your father lacks. I mean, I mean, I, we don't want to dwell on it if you don't want to, but I'm curious as to how you cope with that burden internally. Well, coping with the burden is actually pretty easy. I did not have a great relationship with my father growing up. I'm a child of divorce and I lived with my mother and stepfather. And so I'd see my dad, they sometimes once every other weekend, he was always traveling. So it'd go months without seeing him and it'd be the phone call that we'd have like once a month. And then during the summer, we, we'd see him for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and he'd be busy doing his things. And so I didn't develop a really good relationship with him as a child. And so for me, it's, I don't necessarily go out of my way to develop a relationship now especially with how opposite we are on the spectrum of so many things i mean when he calls i talk with him but and when he brings up things like this i mean he he does believe that COVID 19 is fake news and it doesn't exist i had it he says that he understands i had it but he doesn't think everybody else had it <laughs> I that, how is that not cognitive dissonance? It's, it, I just, I, I can't comprehend. And so because I haven't had a good relationship with him, I've been able to distance myself from him. And at this, at this point, when, when I get phone calls and he starts going off about the politic thing or about COVID, I just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh, okay, bye. Read any good books lately? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. i mean well my heart goes out to you because that that probably has moments of pain for you much as you resigned yourself to it i suspect it still has moments of pain but for the benefit of our listeners getting back on track here um where's this going i mean if it's not what your dad said it was is there is, there is there a deep explanation how do we follow the money here? Well, huge rally ran by somebody who believes he's rich, but is bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> they, they said, I mean, his son went up at the rally and said that for anybody who didn't go and take action right now, that he was going to come and get them. <laughs> I didn't know that. And then they went to take action. Then he was like, wide eye, like, where are you going? <laughs> so we already know america's hurting it's it's pretty obvious it's been obvious for years america's hurting it's split it's struggling there's there's a lot we're going through and it's being expressed in the forms of protests and rallies and acts of violence and stupid microaggressions and all these other issues and the whole idea of political correctness is just trying to hide the pain. Let's put a Band-Aid over it and let's just walk around it instead of dealing with the issue. And as we know from counseling and psychology, that doesn't work. 
Yeah. You have to heal the wound. You have to address the root cause or that cancer is never going to go away and it's going to get worse. Yep. Yeah. And so I see it getting worse. I put a post up on my Facebook news feed yesterday. I'll bring it up. Maybe we'll look at it. Maybe we won't. I remember it fairly clearly. And I was basically, it was as like many of my posts are, it was basically a rant. Um, and what I was saying was, I, if I hear one more news commentator, media pundit, politician, anybody say, this is not America. I would just lose it because this is exactly the America we've created for ourselves. We are reaping exactly what we've sown with manifest destiny and white burden and white privilege. This is exactly the fruit, toxic poisonous fruit that's starting to be harvested from the seeds we planted centuries ago. And for people yeah. who've been saying things like, well, this is not America. No, it's, it's not the manifestation of the mythology of America because the mythology is a total illusion. Land of the free, home of the brave, yada, yada. That's the mythology, the civic religion of America. So yeah, this is not the civic religion of America. This is the truth and reality of America that's coming true visibly now after centuries of this oppressive manifest destiny colonization mentality, colonialism, and well, Lynn named it, attractional propositional colonialism, right? That's what passes for religion in America. And it's led to what? Alt-right Christianity, which Chris Hedges identifies rightly as fascism. And that's exactly yeah. where we are. So listening to these pundits, all three networks, at least two newspapers, the Post and the New York Times, Washington Post and New York Times, and all three main networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, I kept hearing this over and over. This is not America. This is not the real America. This is not the America that we all know and love. I kept hearing that, that crap just repeated till I just couldn't stand it anymore. That was one of the reasons I just went to bed and said, I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> I was just yeah. you know, up to here with it. Well, it's, it's interesting because your know, memories are always more fond than the actual experience was. And so bad. these people have these great memories of America. They don't actually deal with what happened. I mean, we are, we're now having these movements where things are being addressed, like the Me Too movement and BLM and actually trying to resolve these issues that have always been part of America, but we've had our blinders on and we haven't seen it because one, it does not impact us directly and immediately personally. And two, it's a fond memory of the greatness of capitalist America. Yeah, yeah, it's very selective. It's a filter. We put on the mythological ideological filter and it becomes a self-reinforcing delusion. That's kind of where we've ended up, I think. And I've lately become quite fond of using the phrase manifest destiny and white burden and privilege to describe the forces that have been driving it in a very simple encapsulated way. I mean, uh, you have to read a lot to really unpack what both of those refer to, but uh, I think you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was not surprised about the rally and then seeing everything unfold 
oh yeah it's scary yeah it's shocking but it's, to me it wasn't surprising Trump's going to hold a rally the same time the Electoral College is being counted because he thinks it's an illegitimate election. There's going to be problems. There's going to be violence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the other another chorus of voices that bothered me. Nobody saw this coming. How could anybody have predicted this just by watching? Why didn't they call me? I saw it coming. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I just, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. Again, I have to say, Let's go back to the Partis model, you know, the Peshat at the top, the superficial literal is that this was kind of um, ignited or incited by the Trump inner circle, right, in his rally. And then it just kind of organically or spontaneously flowed to the Capitol building and managed to get in and take over the chambers of Congress and have everybody evacuated. Really? We're going to buy that that is literally how it happened. I'm suspicious. I think there's a deeper explanation. I don't know how far down into the raw mystery of the soul we have to go to get there, but yeah. that the Ramesh and Durash, if I'm pronouncing that right, I think there's a bigger story going on at those levels than we've uncovered yet. And again, it's, it's, it comes down to me, it's follow the money, you know? Um, and, and the money, that whole wealth power dynamic that Chomsky has been so fluent in exposing, it's a, that's the follow the money maxim for me. Uh, and I think that takes us below the level because where were the Capitol Police? You have more Capitol Police on duty. We had this conversation a bit yesterday, but you have more Capitol Police on duty anytime. They're under stay at home orders. Yeah. I mean, what, where were they? And how, why weren't there Capitol Police reinforcements on site within minutes before we got a film of that one guard running up the stairs, fleeing from the mob, right? You remember that clip? Yeah, I didn't see that clip, but that's a little frightening. It's, it's a very real clip. It may be hard to find now, <laughs> but yeah, it was a black man. And he was a Capitol Police guard, I think, assigned to the, the, the Congress building. And he uh, was at the bottom of the steps when a gang broke through the barriers and got in. And they started chasing him up the steps and he tried to kind of hold them back. And then he just turned and fled. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was just bizarre. And I'm going, how did they get that far? without reinforcements showing up out of the Capitol Police Force or the Washington Metro Police. Yeah. To me, that doesn't happen just by organic accident. You know, it's kind of, I mean, compared to other events of similar kind, 9-11, how did that security system just collapse to allow 9-11 to happen? The airspace got violated that far that quickly that nobody noticed until they hit the buildings i mean i'm being conspiratorial here but well, well no the, the the declassified documents clearly indicate that the president knew that this attack was going to happen and that these that, that these security implementations had been circumvented and, but they did not take immediate action partially because the CIA screwed it up years before, but 
9-11, it was known that 9-11 was going to occur. I don't think they knew it was going to, on what day it was going to occur or the amount of impact it have to America, but they knew there was going to be a terrorist attack involving planes hitting buildings. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and that, that's only of what's been declassified. They may have known, known even more that we don't see. Yeah. Well, you, you know, there's a whole community of, you know, scholars and academics, and there's even a couple of Christian writers who take a much more dark view from a conspiratorial perspective, like the Project for the New American Century, uh, dating a couple of years back, where Condoleezza Rice and Dick Cheney and that cadre of, of mm, manipulators literally were looking for a new Pearl Harbor event. Uh, yeah. in the 21st century. And uh, they, there are conspiracy writers who tie those two together, the project for New American Century and the 9-11 as that Pearl Harbor event. And whether or not that's the connection, that certainly has been the outcome. 9-11 has been a Pearl Harbor event. And we got the Patriot Act and we got, you know, a whole new model of world global neoliberal rule spinning out of the wake of the 9-11 attacks. But we digress. Uh, I I only bring that into the conversation to ask the same kind of question. If they knew this was coming and anybody on social media paying attention knew something like this was imminent, right? Mm -hmm. How was nothing done? How could it be so, it's hard for me to follow the maxim here that says never attribute malice where incompetence is a sufficient explanation. It's hard for me to buy that in this case. So from what I understand, there there are some people that were commenting saying, hey, we knew something was gonna happen. We knew there was gonna be a rally. We knew people, things were gonna get out of hand, but we really believed that people had this inner goodness that was not going to drive them to the level they did. And it's, whether it's naivety or just an excuse, it seemed to be the whole, oh, yeah, this is rally. Oh, yeah, they're angry. But no, they're not going to do capital. I mean, really? That doesn't, that doesn't logically make sense here, but we're not dealing with logic also. Right. Well, you tied this in our conversation yesterday. You drew an analogy between this, uh, or actually you said there's not really a good comparison, I think, between this and what happened in Charlotte. Uh, how long has that been? That's been over a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, and that was specifically an, an overtly anti-Semitic uh, event. This was not so much anti-Semitic, it was anti-anything but Trump. <laughs> so, yeah. I just... I no, it, was, it was concerning. So... I'm not going to list names, but you know, I've, I've got people that I'm, I'm connected to on Facebook. One person had commented while the events were happening. They said, Trump could stop this so easily. The good he had done during his presidency counts for nothing if he doesn't. And this was before the video came out. And then the video came out and somebody went on there and said, he just did very forcefully. Like he just stopped it very forcefully. To which somebody else responded, was like, what are you watching? <laughs> Let's see. To quote CNN, in one stunning line, Trump told the mob to go home 
that added, we love you. You are very special. Yeah. The, the words were, I know your pain. I know your hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. And so there's, even within the local community here, there's these people who support Trump. They're like, well, wait, this was not okay. And then there's people who support Trump, like, well, what do you mean it's not okay? He didn't do it. He stopped it. It was a fault. It was a fraudulent election. I don't understand what the issue was. He didn't cause the rally, or he didn't, he didn't, I mean, not the rally. He didn't cause the terrorist attack. He told them to stop. After and, it had already happened. <laughs> but yeah, even watching that video, please don't hurt anybody. Please go home. We're right, they're wrong, we're good, they're evil, but don't do anything about it. Right, right. That doesn't sound like telling somebody to stop to me. No, it sounds like saying what you've been told to say and ripping the power out of it in the words you picked. <laughs> yeah, it's, so I don't know, it's, it's, um, to me, Trump is Trump. But what shocks, what has shocked me so much over the years, those past three years, especially the past few months, is how many Republicans are still siding with Trump and playing the Trump game when they know that he's out in a few days. Yeah, yeah, well. They're risking their future career and influence to make this guy happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mentioned yesterday, I didn't see how the Republicans were gonna get out of this hole. And I think you said you didn't think they were in a hole. <laughs> I've come to believe you're right. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that kind of went through my mind as I was watching all this, and you mentioned uh, this, uh, it ain't over yet, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the 20th for the inauguration. I venture to say that the security is going to be scary in terms of the escalation of security surrounding that event. I'd be surprised if it were as weak and lax as it was at the Capitol building, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But what went through my mind was, okay, this is an alt-right, violent civil disobedience, an act of terrorism. Okay, as you know, I'm with Extinction Rebellion, specifically. And they have a couple of events planned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'm, I asked my colleague who's on the launch team at XRA, you, you know who, you've met him. I asked him, what can we learn from the perspective of nonviolent civil disobedience from what happened to these people from the other end of the ideological spectrum from us? What can we learn? What lessons can we learn from what happened here with respect to what we're looking to do in the latter, you know, the next few months around Extinction Rebellion active action? Yeah, yeah. Because all along, Roger Hallam has emphasized the whole thrust here is to get as many people arrested as possible for civil disobedience so that you overwhelm the system. And if that's the, that's the aim or the goal of nonviolent civil disobedience, nonviolent direct action, we're kind of in a bind now because this action by the alt-left or the alt-right, if you will, of violent civil disobedience is going to raise uh, the capacity, it's going to force the 
law enforcement and military arm of the governing body into a state of heightened capacity to be able to deal with large numbers of either violent or nonviolent civil disobedient or action, violent or nonviolent, one violent from the right and nonviolent from the left, the treatment's going to be the same if there's a crime being committed, you know? Now, they only arrested, yeah, so, I think last night, they only arrested, what, 13 people? 13, 15, yeah. some very small and numbers. Was, and there was four deaths. Three yeah. of them were medical emergencies, and one of them was shot. Yeah. We haven't heard much more about that. At least I haven't seen much more news about the, the one who was killed. Well, it's a terrorist attack. Details are scarce at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will have to. I mean, the State Department ordered all their politicians to not post on social media until further notice, yeah. including diplomats overseas. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's obviously a terrorist investigation because the only time the State Department does that is when there's a terrorist attack. Yeah. It's good to so, know they're viewing it from that through that lens, if that's indeed the way they're looking at it. But yeah, I, well, I well on the extinction rebellion part, say again. I, on the extinction rebellion part, I do have concern about the protest. Not because I'm not saying that the extinction rebellion shouldn't do the protest. I understand the thought process behind it, but I also understand human nature. Human nature is to jump from one ditch to another. And we've been allowing all these protests and now look what happened. So now we have to jump to the other ditch of extreme and say all protests need to be met with swift and extreme measures. That's kind and of even extinction. Yeah. But it's scary thinking that what if they skip the arresting part and it just goes to beating protesters in the streets? Well, that's what's happened to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And my question, I mean, you've seen it in Portland even more vividly than I have here in Florida. In Florida, we don't, I, Florida is still the land of magical thinking, certainly here around Orlando. I mean, you don't well, see- it's because you have Magic Kingdom there. Yeah. You don't see any serious kind of unrest or activism. And the closest there's been has all been around Trump. Um, I yeah. think I published a photo of the back of a Trump bus about kill the socialists or something, but that was a whole other story. So I don't know, I, you know, it's gonna be an interesting few weeks ahead of us here. Um, I guess we should probably be prepared to do a follow-up episode after the inauguration. Well, of course. Just kind That's of see how it unfolds. You know, one other thing related to this, do you think that before the 20th, that Pence will invoke the 25th? Well, to be clear for the readers, the 25th Amendment of the Constitution, right? Where he is not medically fit to continue his duties in office and he's yanked out and Pence has to be interim president. I raised that possibility myself in Facebook posts and painted that as the most horrific outcome conceivable. It's entirely possible that he could be acting president until the 20th. But how would they get around Pence being inaugurated on the 20th? I mean, Biden being inaugurated on the 20th so that Pence would stay in office. They would have to have some kind of national emergency declaration, some kind of martial law action. They'd have to do something. Well, 
to circumvent that inauguration. I'm not thinking in regards to that. I'm thinking is that Trump plans on running 2024. Yeah. He's already trying to garner a base for it. The Democratic Party, if they're paying attention, they don't want to deal with him in four years. They don't want him back in. And he just did this foobar action. And so here's the perfect opportunity to do another impeachment process and declare him medically unfit because even if those don't hold after he leaves office, it's a bad resume. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he would not be in a position to win an election or win support of the Republican party because they'll look at us like, well, you quit, you, you got fired from your job here in the final <laughs> days. We're not gonna, we, we don't wanna lose this election. We're not gonna vote for you. <laughs> Well, I get, I get uh, that's a valid concern and it's a possibility. I do think it's a rather short timeline. I think a more it nefarious is. and by several orders of magnitude, a more effective strategy, I think. And thinking like a psychopath is not a fun place to be. <laughs> but we have to go there if we're going to stay in tune with the times. We're being governed by psychopaths. So we have to be able to yeah. anticipate what they're doing. So if I think strategically as if I were a psychopath, which is not easy for me, but I can sometimes get there, the 25th Amendment is one way to go, but criminal charges after he's out of office. Because then he can't pardon himself. Exactly. Would do a shitload more damage. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, and to be quite honest, that's the strategy I'd rather see unfold. I mean, if the powers that be, the wealth and power elite, who are essentially anonymous, but pulling the strings of all these political meat puppets, if their strategy is to just marginalize Trump so far out of the picture that they never have to think about him again, they could put him under criminal prosecution, find him guilty of something, and he'd be out of the picture. Then they'd have Pence. Mm -hmm. See what I mean? Then they would have Pence. And Hedges has written about how bad Pence is and what a risk it is that Biden is just a staging process to bring Pence or someone like him, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, to bring an actual full bore Christian right fascist theocracy into place. And they, yeah. that's what Pence represents. And now who, who's the judge that uh, got on the Supreme Court most recently? Barrett, I think is her name, Barnett Barrett. Barrett. All right fascist all right christian fascist you know so that's this game that seems to be unfolding is how to bring that all right christian fascist theocracy in as the governing regime in the united states as bizarre as that sounds that seems to be the game that's unfolding hedges has written about this at length his whole book there's a book uh that the subtitle is the fascist christianity I'm, I'm butchering the title, but it, it is American Fascist, how the alt-right is running America or something like that. Um, and it's, it's, I've read it, and it's uh, scary, very scary. And Pence and several others, like this Supreme Court appointee and Betsy DeVos and her brother, who is the president and CEO of, uh, is it BlackRock? that is the military contractor that are the, hmm. the go-to guys for the off the radar 
you know, dark operations, the black ops kinds of things. It's not BlackRock, it's something like that. But anyway, he who runs that business is Betsy DeVos's brother. A little nepotism in there, never hurt, right? It's just yeah. all moving parts that seem to be this juggernaut of fascism that's rolling into the future and dragging all the rest of us in its wake. Yeah. Concerning. On that note. <laughs> Your passport up to date? <laughs> I don't know where I would go. We had this, this again reflects back to yesterday. I don't know a country that would have me. Um, Switzerland. Be, well, maybe. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in Switzerland, actually, a high school friend. Uh, we've been reconnected over the past few years through social media. He's a musician, actually, and he, it's funny. He's a, he's a really good musician, guitarist, vocalist. And he plays kind of um, Americana music. And he plays a little bit of the European, Switzerland, Swiss kind of stuff, although you don't hear him play a lot of polka music. <laughs> but he succeeds over there because he represents the American music scene in local pubs and local bars and things. So he doesn't have to be, you know, Los Angeles, Hollywood, New York quality American musician. He just has to be kind of basically competent. But because he can do it live in their pubs and bars, he's, he's quite successful. And he's good. I don't want to diminish his talent. He's, he's, he's actually quite good. And he's written some original stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I've got a passport that's active. I don't need to renew it. I think I've got about five years left before it expires. I just don't know, you know, like I say, where I would go. Because I got you know, families here. And I got to be here for them. Yeah, I get it. If I could get us all out, I would, but I don't think I could make that happen. <laughs> what about you? Are you thinking of taking your family to Israel? Oh, it's we, it is. Um, I intend to live there. The question is when. And so we're trying to provide an, an option of stability so that our oldest can be an adult before we make that move so that they can make that choice if they want to move with us or not. But I've, I've got the town chosen and everything. And I, I would love just to live there and just to be simple. And it's, it's an artist town that's very Kabbalistic and spiritual and then there's this newish city that's part of it. And so it's like this perfect hodgepodge. And so and that, that's fine. It's a very holy city. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah, I'd love to live. I'd love to live. I'd love to move there. Um, right now, it doesn't look like it's in the cards, but if things get worse, that may not be a choice. Yeah. Well, um, how old so is your we'll see. Is, it, is Elijah your He's old? 12. No, Ezekiel's the oldest. He's 12. Elijah's nine. Okay, Ezekiel. So you're yeah. six years away from him being of his age of consent. Well, in the American yeah. legal system anyway, right? Yeah. So, well, we'll see. I mean, right, right now, COVID is encouraging everybody to stay home. I don't mind it at the moment. All <laughs> but right. once, it, once it becomes not safe to be here, I have to go somewhere. 
I, I understand. And, and there's two reasons, at least two, why it could no longer be safe. One has to do with culture and politics and the militarism therein. The other has to do with ecosystem and civilization collapse. Both of those are on yeah. the 10-year timeline. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. Mm. So, so I'm not worried about that. It's, I am, there's this concept within the Talmud that says that we are to pray for our governments and follow the laws of the land and because Hashem chose our governments. Hashem chose who our leaders are. And so we have to understand that while we don't get it, for some reason, Trump's president. <laughs> so. well, that, that's not just in the Talmud, of course. There are scriptures in the New yeah. Testament that are interpreted that way. Uh, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's being one of them, right? When the coin comes yeah, yeah. out of the fish, you know that part of the story. I've never bought that. I don't believe that's really what's going on in that passage. But it's kind of like, and I called Lynn on this one. This is a real diversion from the topic, but it's a, it's interesting. And I'm glad for the opportunity to kind of share it with you because I'll be interested in your reflections on it a bit further down the road. I was reading some passage in scripture. I don't remember which one. And for some reason, I got the sudden sense, and I guess epiphany, for lack of a better word, a grasp of the scripture I was reading, that Jesus, God, whichever way you want to think about it, is always present in all time. Okay? Okay. And when you start reading scripture in that perspective, it can really catch you off guard. I'll give you an example. Lynn posted something about the passage where uh, Jesus admonishes Peter, and this is at the gates of hell, right? Right before he um, renames him from Simon to Peter. Before that, mm -hmm. he tells him, Jesus tells Simon what's going to happen to him, and Simon says, may it never be. I'll never let that happen to you. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. Well, Lynn posted something about how Jesus was admonishing Peter or Simon. And I had just started thinking in these temporal terms, and I posted in comment, I said, hmm, I'm not real sure because it doesn't say Simon, get behind me. It doesn't say Peter, get behind me. It says Satan, get behind me. He wasn't talking to Simon. He was talking to Satan directly. And the behind in that scripture is a temporal term. Satan was in a time where he was not supposed to be. And he was manipulating. He can plant thoughts from the Christian perspective. Satan can plant thoughts in the human mind, even though he can't literally read the human mind. He can plant thoughts in them, the just now being that Jesus knew that Satan was in a time where he wasn't supposed to be, and he was planting thoughts in Simon's mind. So he wasn't talking to Simon. He was speaking straight through Simon to Satan and said, get out of town. You're where you don't belong. And so I posted this in response to Lynn's post. And what does he say? He said it was, he liked it very much is the bottom line. Uh, mm -hmm. evocative and provocative, he called it. 
<laughs> and we had we exchanged a couple of emails about it after that. And I told him, I said, I don't think that's the only passage of scripture where you can shift. If you can shift your temporal perspective, you can see whole new dimensions of what's going on. And yeah. I had now I just stumbled into that on something I was reading. I remember where, but it really came out in that passage around the gates of hell and Simon renamed Peter and that Satan get behind me. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to share that with you because that, that was kind of a exegetical stumble into illumination that I enjoyed. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I won't go too far in, but I mean, the Jewish perspective, we have a different perspective of Hasatan. It's an angel working for God. I know. I it's not necessarily one angel, it's just a job. So we have our own perspective, but it's, it is an interesting thing that you bring up with that because, you know, Hashem does exist outside of time because time is a man-made construct. I mean, we measure it because by revolving around the sun. We only do that because things age and things age because of the choices mankind made. That's not the only aging that takes place. I'm just saying, like, the, the biggest thing, like, why does it matter how many years old you are? Oh, no, I, yeah, I get that entirely. Yeah. So, that, that's only because we age and die. If, if we didn't age and die, it doesn't matter if you're one year or a million years. It's not relevant at that point for that. It's the cycle that matters. Yeah. It's, it's, it's well, we're opening a whole other cans of worms here. We should probably let this session draw to a close, park it to yeah. come back to after the inauguration, revisit the forces of fascism that are rising around us all the more quickly every day, uh, and just revisit it after the inauguration. So, how long have we been on? And in the meantime, I haven't really kept track of the time. We're about an hour, aren't we? No, we're about 45 minutes, so. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that's a good stopping point. I guess in the meantime, to prevent me from becoming an alcoholic, I'm just going to have to play Pokemon Go or Tetris or something. <laughs> Speaking of an alcoholic, I want to share something with you. Hang on a second. You may have noticed this before. Normally, when I ring in the new year, I've been kind of a dedicated scotch drinker. I love yeah. the malt scotch. And I and you and I have shared some whiskeys in the past. Um, this one, I don't know if you see that or not. Rider Tears. Rider's, it's a possessive. Rider's Tears. Mm -hmm. And it has, uh, you can't see it unless you're looking at it, you know, face to face. But there's a real faint inscription on here on the label, yeah. it's faint gray, and I can't even read it. But it's an Irish, what's called an Irish copper pot single malt. It's 80 per. Oh. And I, Jonathan, this is one of the best whiskeys I have ever tasted. It's not terribly yeah. expensive. And it's a single malt, but the way it's made is it's the, the British put a limit on how much single malt whiskey the Irish could brew in their commercial whiskeys. And so what they did was they came up with a way to triple distill 
in a copper pot, single copper pot, the whiskeys they were making, which gave it a more robust flavor and got a higher alcoholic content by that triple distillery in a copper pot, whatever, however that happened. Anyway, that's how they make it. Interesting. And it's, it's, it, the name just seized me. I was in the liquor store looking for a bottle of scotch to drink and I saw Writer's Tears and I thought that had better be a good whiskey because I'm going to buy it either way. <laughs> yeah. It's just too good a name so, to own, you know? And young so I have questions about that bottle. Okay. Um, on the bottle, does it say anything about a special finish, extra maturation, or aged in a wine cask? Well, I'll read you from the back. Uh, it's actually way uh, uh, aged in uh, bourbon, oak. Okay. Uh, a unique vatting of single pot still and single malt Irish whiskey, triple distilled for extra smoothness, aged and matured to perfection in flame charred bourbon barrels, distilled entirely of barley, in traditional Irish copper pot stills, um, bursting with flavor and complexity. Now, let me look a little closer because there is some fine print. Uh, government warning, flashes of apple with hints of vanilla and honey over a distinctively Irish pot still base. Taste, gently spiced with a burst of ginger and butterscotch with background notes of toasted oak. Finish, long elegant finish with subtle notes of milk chocolate and almonds. Um, and so what were you looking for? Um, I was just reading the regulations regarding how to tell scotch is kosher or not. Uh, that's what I thought you were asking. And I, I don't know the criteria, but uh, you know, from what I read, does it sound like it might or might not be? I think it might be. I would probably have to um, find it in the store and then take a picture and send it to um, my neighbor who's the head of Oregon Kosher and he'd be able to tell me. You can find all the information online. Just Google Writer's Tears Irish Whiskey. Yeah. And they, you'll find their website. I'll have to look into that. You know what? Maybe it's not filed under... I was looking under Scotch. It might be filed under Irish Whiskey. Oh, it is. It's definitely not Scotch. It's definitely Irish. Let's see, let's see, I don't have it under there. I don't have that brand listed either. It's it has the same rules as Scotch. Right. So, so there's a possibility that it might not not necessarily be certified kosher, but not have anything in it that would make it non-kosher. Right. And even that is it. There's a difference of opinion. Some hold that Scotch and whiskey is fine, and others hold that it may not be fine. It depends. Um, the concept is because of the importing is um, some, for example, Canadian whiskeys will typically happen to import it to the U.S. is they'll add wine to the bottle. Yeah. Enough wine that it gets tax qualified as wine because it's cheaper taxes to pay. Yeah. And then because they added wine, then there's an issue of kosher because kosher wine has a lot of rules to follow. From what I'm reading here, this doesn't have anything in it but barley. <laughs> So and whatever it, it's quite possible that maybe a good choice. I'll have to I'll have to take a look at that. So 
I did a search on is Rider's Tears whiskey kosher, and I did it said seventy results, but nothing was found in matched results. So I don't, I don't think it has a certification. I think it's one of those ask your local Orthodox rabbi ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting pretty esoteric here for our listeners, but anyway, I just wanted to share that with yeah. you because the name is so apt. Because there's two reasons to drink whiskey if you're one is you just want to kind of maybe put a little in your coffee while you're writing and get a little bit of a relaxed men mentality to kind of let the imagination yeah. flow. And then there's the other side of the coin where you want to drink about four huge gulps of this three or four times within an hour and be blind drunk when you write like Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. And I will have to say the flavor of this one works equally well in both cases because <laughs> I experimented with both on New Year's Eve. And it, yeah. I didn't drink a whole lot. I mean, you can see in the bottle, I've only had like maybe three shots, right? Maybe a triple, maybe a double. But it, it's just delicious. I'm so happy that I found this. Just thought I'd well, share it. Really By the way, let me say to our listeners, um, this is not a paid announcement. Nobody's paying me to promote Writer's Tears. It's just something I found on my own that I just happen to enjoy immensely. I'm not saying go buy it. I'm not saying don't go buy it. I'm just saying I found it to be a really good whiskey. Yeah. And I guess also it's good for our listeners to know that one of the reasons you're sharing with me is you, you know that I like to curate a whiskey collection and mix whiskeys and everything. And it's one of our hospitality things we do that I haven't been able to actually provide people since COVID. So eventually I'll get back to the point where I can have people over for lunch and give them special whiskeys. Well, check into this one because I'm telling you, uh, you know, I'm not a connoisseur by any stretch of the imagination. I'm kind of in a dilemma because being from Kentucky, I should be a bourbon drinker. But bourbon makes me angry. If I, if I get a buzz going on bourbon, it just makes me mad. It just pisses me off. And with my rage of grief these days, I can't afford to be any more angry than I already am. So drinking bourbon is not on my radar. But scotch leaves yeah. me kind of mellow. And so does the Irish whiskey. And this just really did the trick this New Year's Eve. That was the reason for it. I really it. enjoy a peaty scotch. This, is, this has that kind of bog flavor to it. The single malts, really cool. single malts do. Okay, that's really cool. If, if it's kosher acceptable, you know, or not necessarily kosher, but falls within the broader limits, I would I'd suggest give it a shot. Literally. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, okay. Good so, time. yeah, we had a coup. The world's still here. Things will settle down and we'll see what happens in the coming days. Amen. 13 more days. Thank you, Yoni. Always a delight and pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. likewise. Shalom. Until next time. Shalom. Send questions, comments, and suggestions to semiobytes at gmail.com. Semiobytes is a podcast co-hosted by Yedberg and Semiocity that answers Semitic questions via semioc analysis by addressing misunderstandings to build a bridge of shalom between Judaism and Christianity. Semiobytes is a component of the Track 2 dissertation process at Portland Seminary for Jonathan Esterman and Terry Rankin.